Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now, enjoy this message from Pastor Zach Neese. Good day, Unite Church. How are we doing today? Are you ready to learn something about Jesus Christ and about yourself? Anybody ready? Well, before we begin, let's do this. Just let's close our eyes for a moment and lift our hands to the Lord. This is a position of submission as well as a position of praise. And let's just submit ourselves to hear from him what he wants to share with us. So, Lord God, here we are today. We're submitted to you. We want to hear what you want us to hear. We want to believe what you believe. So, Lord, we ask that you would align our thoughts with yours. We ask that you would align our passions with yours because we want to feel what you feel. We want your emotions rolling through our hearts. We want to hear your word in a way that we can process it and be transformed by it because we want to go out of this room different than the way we came in. So I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, that you would speak to me today. You would speak through me. Give me eloquence of speech. Give me clarity of thought. And nothing of the flesh would come out of my mouth. And I pray for these people that every person in this room would have ears to hear and hearts to understand. In the name of Jesus. Amen, people of God. Amen. Well, as you heard, my name is Zach. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. How many of you remember what it's like to be lost? Anybody remember lost? Okay, so like four people. Were the rest of you that drunk, you don't remember what it was like to be lost. Being lost is the worst feeling in the world. And I remember what it's like to be lost. And I'm so grateful for my salvation. I love Jesus. I love my wife. You've seen her leading worship. She's an incredible worship leader, and she's an incredible gift. That's Jennifer. I love my kids. They're spread out. There's four of them over here. They're such good people. You should get to know my kids. They're wonderful. And I have two more. One's at home in Texas, and one's in the uh, the student rooms. And I'm a pastor as well. I've been a pastor for 22 years. Um, Not just a song leader. I'm also a pastor. I also was one of the professors at Christ for the Nations. I taught worship there and at the King's University, which is Jack Hayford's school. And I've had the joy of being able to share the journey of Christ and mentoring with, with worship leaders from like 50 different countries. It's completely incredible. I don't deserve it. God just was like, I picked that one. And here I am. I have no idea how that happened. <laughs> So today, I would like to share the Word of God with you if you're open to hearing some things. Before we do that, I want to tell you that the title of this sermon is, What Time Is It? We're going to get there in just a second. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Revelation chapter 3. This is not going to be a scary sermon. I'm not talking about the Antichrist. A lot of people don't even read the book of Revelation because you're like, that's the one with the demons. That's the one where things come out of the crack of the ground and there's blood up to the horse's bridle. I'm not even reading that one. This is not a revelation of the boogeyman. This is not a revelation of the woolly booger. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And I want to read you something in Revelation 1 verse 3. This is a promise. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy. If you read the book of Revelation out loud, this promises you'll be blessed. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say you have to understand it. <laughs> Anybody who says that, they're un- that they understand this book is lying to themselves. <laughs> Nobody understands what this is saying. It's, it's going to be revealed. It's being revealed to us, right? Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it. So if someone else reads it and you hear it, if you like audible books... All you have to do is listen to it. The Bible promises you'll be blessed. You know, this is the reason we read this in our house. I tell the kids, you don't have to get it. Just listen and you'll be blessed. All they have to do is be there for it. And then it says, and take to heart what is written in it. Three ways you can be blessed by the book of Revelation. Read it, hear it, and take it to heart. It doesn't ever say you have to actually get it. So we're going to read some of it today. And I pray in the name of Jesus that as you hear it, you are blessed. Anybody receive that? All right. So um, you may or may not know this. I'm also an author. I didn't bring any of these to sell because I didn't come to sell books. I I don't want to make a profit off of you guys. I just want you to know that this is what I'm about. I'm about Jesus and I'm about worship. 
And this book is called How to Worship a King. If you're interested in that as a resource, you can get it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. There is an Audible. And we just released um, we just released a small group curriculum. If you're teaching a small group, running a small group, I want to tell you this is bellissimo. We did a good job. This is a very good curriculum. You can find that on howtoworshipaking.com if you want it. It's just a resource for you guys. So this is me. I'm about Jesus, and I'm about worship, okay? Anybody want to hear about that? All right. This is really the church's job, is to prepare a worshiping people for Jesus. You may say, I thought Jesus said that we're supposed to be making disciples. What do you think a disciple is? You think this is like a sanctified book club or something? You think this is behavior modification? No, we're preparing a worshiping people for Jesus Christ. We're preparing people for an eternal relationship with a God who adores them. Your job is to be so on fire that you shoot sparks and you catch this dry world on fire all around you. That's your job. You should be a walking contagion of passion for Jesus Christ. If you don't wear your mask, people should catch Jesus. So we're reading the book of Revelation. Don't freak out. I love the book of Revelation. Um, It's written by John. You just finished um, hearing a sermon series on 1 John. I love John. I love what Pastor Rick said about him last week. I thought that was a great sermon. Didn't you think that was good? I have a different perspective on John. I kind of see John as like the hippie disciple. He's like, I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. <laughs> if you know me, you love me. And if you love me, you obey my commands. If you don't obey Jesus, you don't love Jesus. And this is how you know what love is. He loved you, man. So this is John. <laughs> John is like, Jesus is love, man. So finally the Romans got tired of John, and they're like, they tried to kill him. They couldn't kill John. So finally they're like, send the hippie to Patmos. So, <laughs> so they send John to the Isle of Patmos, and he writes the book of Revelation after receiving this vision from Jesus Christ. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. The Bible says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day, man. <laughs> I was in the spirit, man. I was in the spirit world. And and he sees Jesus. And this guy has seen Jesus on the cross. He lived with him for three years of his life. He saw him on the cross. He saw him transfigured, and he saw him resurrected. And when he sees this vision of Jesus, it blows his mind so much, he falls down on the ground like he's dead. Like even John, that knew Jesus better than any living man. He was the only disciple at the foot of the cross. This guy knew Jesus, which, by the way, is the reason he knew he was loved, because he saw the cross. This guy's mind is blown by the vision of Jesus that he has. It's worth reading just for that. But then after he sees this Jesus, Jesus basically tells him to take up a quill and some parchment because he's going to dictate seven letters to him, letters to these seven churches. And these are seven actual churches in Asia Minor. There's three different kind of theories about what these letters are about, okay? You guys know what I'm talking about? Who, who here reads this book? Anybody? You got to read it. It's so exciting. There's so much stuff in there. So these, first of all, are seven letters to seven actual churches in Asia Minor, which is in Turkey, right? But here's what's interesting. Jesus doesn't write a letter to every church, There are churches in Asia Minor he doesn't write letters to, just these seven for some reason. So the first theory is these are seven letters to seven actual churches, which is true. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, seven different churches. The second theory is this, that these are seven types of churches. So you could do a sermon series on these seven letters because these are seven types of churches. You have... The backslidden church. That never happens. The persecuted church. The carnal church. The cultish church. The ritualistic dead religion church. The evangelistic church. And then the one we're going to talk about, the church of Laodicea. Have any of you ever attended any of these churches? 
Yeah, only you and him. Okay. Because <laughs> this one's perfect, right? <laughs> no problems. We got it all sorted. And the third theory is that these are seven ages of the church. Now, this fascinates me. What if these letters are seven ages of the church? And I want to ask you this question. What time does it feel like to you? Does it feel like we're in the age of the first church? Does it feel like we're at halftime? Or does it feel like we, we're in the last quarter? Does it feel like we're five minutes to midnight? Does it feel like this turkey's almost done, man? We need to pull it out of the oven. Does it feel like we are at the end of things? How many of you feel like even creation is just kind of fraying at the edges right now? You know what I'm talking about? The world is going crazy. Most of the signs of Jesus' returning have already been fulfilled. Did you know that as we speak, whether you like him or not, President Trump is making peace treaties all over the Middle East between the Muslim nations and Israel? Do you know that's one of the signs of the return of Christ and the news isn't talking about it? That's happening right now. What time is it? And if it's late in the game, what does that mean for us? What if we're the seventh church? If we're the seventh church, would you like to learn something about it? Anybody? Anybody here? You guys, either your arms are broken or you don't want to hear. Anybody here want to hear something about the seventh church? All right, here's what I propose. I don't know that this is true. I don't know that we're the seventh church, but what if we're the seventh church? We're going to read some of this, and I want you to hear and think and ingest and allow yourselves to be spoken to by Christ, okay? Let's find out what Jesus says to the seventh church. To the angel of the church of Laodicea. By the way, this is pronounced Ladikaya. But I'm not going to say that. Because I don't feel like saying Ladikaya every time I say this. It's Laodicea. This is the angel to the church of Laodicea. Write this. These are the words of the amen. When do you say amen? You say amen when you agree? Do you say it at the beginning or the end of a prayer? This is what you say at the end. You say amen when you're done. This is the amen speaking to the last church, and he's going, get her done. We are getting her done right now. This is the end, right? I'm the amen, he says, the faithful and the true witness. That means he sees more clearly than we do. The ruler, the authority of God's creation. He says, I know your deeds. In other words, I know how you act. I know what you're up to. This is like Santa Claus. Oh, dear Lord. Let him not see me. I know your deeds. He says that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Oh. If this is the last age of the church, this church is marked by one thing lukewarmness? Is that what you want to be known for? Is that what you want to be known as? You know, this is in the King James Version. It says, you make me want to vomit. It actually says the word vomit. This is the only place in the entire Bible where God says something makes him so sick to his stomach that he wants to throw up. And it's a bride who's not really that interested in being married to the groom. Take it or leave it. I'm good where I am. I'm, I'm kind of complacent, kind of happy. I don't need any more than this. I don't want any more than this. I have not imagined any more than this. I show up. I live life. It's pretty good. It's just okay. It's pretty good. I could, I'm, I'm doing all right. It's complacency. You hear what I'm saying? This church has a passion problem. And where there's a passion problem, that is always a worship problem. Now, this is what I'm going to be talking about over the next few weeks, worship, because this is all I talk about. I talk about the gospel, I talk about Jesus Christ, and I talk about worship, okay? Where there's a passion problem, there's a worship problem. The word worship actually comes from the root word worth. So worship is worthship. It is a demonstration of something's value to me. In other words, when I worship something, I'm showing the world how valuable that thing is to me. When I worship Jesus Christ, the whole world is seeing how dear he is. 
how passionate I am about him, how much I love him, how much I value him, what his worth is. Worship demonstrates value, and not only to the world, but to God himself and to hell. Because I don't know about you, but I want demons to know I love Jesus. I want them to know who I belong to so they keep their grubby mitts off of me. I don't belong to them. I belong to Jesus Christ. I've been bought at a price. Therefore, I value the one who purchased me. Get it? That's what worship is. You guys all right? You out there? Now, let me tell you a little bit of history about Laodicea. Laodicea is in Turkey, and Laodicea has a couple of towns right around it that are special. Right to the north, there's a town. I don't know how to pronounce this. An unpronounceable town. It's actually pronounced Hierapolis, and you can go there today. Hierapolis is famous for its hot springs. It's gorgeous. You can, you can look it up on the internet if you want to. It has these gorgeous, tiered, blue hot springs with white calcium deposits. It's just white and blue and gorgeous, and people go there for spa days. If you can imagine being in the ancient world and there not being any such thing as hot showers and hot tubs, people would go to Hierapolis for a spa day. Imagine how refreshing that would be to be able to go and dip in the hot springs. The problem is Hierapolis is 10-ish miles to the north of Laodicea. So if you want the waters of Hierapolis and Laodicea, they have to travel all that way through aqueducts. And what do you think those hot, refreshing waters are like by the time they get to Laodicea? Lukewarm. He's, He's using their physicality as a prophecy to them. You ain't got hot water. I wish you did. I'd want to hang around. But by the time it gets to you, it's dirty and it's lukewarm and it's kind of disgusting. Now, to the south of them is another church. This is where the letter uh, to the church of uh, the Colossians comes from. This is Colossae. And Colossae has the opposite. Colossae has cold springs. If you're in the Middle East and you're miserably hot and it's 120 degrees outside, would you rather visit Hierapolis or Colossae? You want to go to Colossae. If you're hot and you've been working and you want a cool drink just as crisp as ice, and there's no ice back then, where are you going to go? Colossae. It's refreshing. But if you want the waters of Colossae and Laodicea, they've got to travel through all those miles of aqueduct, and by the time those waters get to Laodicea, what do you think they're like? Dirty and lukewarm. Laodicea has a problem. They have lukewarm water. Because they have a source issue. You understand? Laodicea doesn't have a spring. They don't have hot springs. They don't have cold springs. They don't have any springs. They're getting all their water from an external source. You know what? There are a lot of Christians out there, and sometimes I'm one of them, that I don't have a spring inside of me. I'm getting the the waters of life from a preacher. I'm getting the waters of life from a worship pastor. I'm getting it from a book, but I'm not getting it from Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something. If you've got a passion problem, it's because you've got a presence problem. There's a source issue. Do you hear what I'm saying? There's a source issue in Laodicea. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you in on the secret that's supposed to be the end of the sermon because I'm going to repeat it over and over again because repetition is the mother of learning, okay? I said I'm going to repeat it over and over again because repetition is the mother of learning. Because repetition is the mother of learning. So, If you ever have a passion problem, passion problems always come from presence problems, right? Passion problem causes a presence problem causes a power problem. Because the presence of Jesus Christ and his power are irrevocable. He never shows up that he doesn't show up in power, right? If there's not power in the house, it's because there's not presence in the house. If there's not presence in the house, it's because there's not passion in the house. That's what I'm talking about. And this is the sign of the seventh church, that there are a lot of churches that are satisfied and they just, they don't need the presence of God anymore. That's what we're about to see, okay? Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry we're going there. Revelation 3, verses 17 through 22. He just said you're lukewarm. kind of makes me sick. You say... Oh, let me tell you one more thing about Laodicea. Laodicea is a famous center for banking and textiles. So there's two things that they're really good at, wealth and wardrobe. They look good. They know how to do You know, I, I, I used to work in South Lake, Texas. In fact, I'm, I'm back there now. It's one of the richest communities in America. 
And the problem with being a rich community is that you can dress up your pain. You can, you can dress up your sin. You can put on your Sunday best and pretend like you're fine, but in reality, you're broken. So their problem is they got the wardrobe. Their problem is they've got wealth. And as we see, they don't know what's really going on in their own hearts. Jesus says, you say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I do not need a thing. I used to know a pastor that wouldn't pray for uh, rich people or tithers or worshipers to come to his church. He would only pray for desperate people to come to his church. Because desperate people know they need Jesus, and people who know they need Jesus meet Jesus. Right? He says, you say, I do not need a thing. Well, that's a problem. You don't need a thing. You've got a problem. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Let me tell you what the Greek words for these mean. The word wretched means afflicted. You're in turmoil. Have you looked at our culture lately? The seventh church is us. We're afflicted. We're the richest culture that has ever been on the face of the earth. Even our poor people are richer than poor people have ever been in history. We have everything, and yet we're lacking something. We're afflicted. Look at the conflict in our culture. We're an afflicted people. We're a people in turmoil. We're looking around trying to find out, how can I be happy? How can I be satisfied? There's something in my heart that having an iPhone doesn't fix. There's something in my heart that having a Gucci doesn't fix. My wardrobe isn't fixing this thing. What's the problem? I've got all the wrong resources. Wretched means afflicted in turmoil. Pitiful. Pitiful means miserable. The Greek word means miserable. You think you're rich, but you're actually miserable. Have you ever known anybody that looked good, but you just knew they're miserable? Have you ever been that guy? I've been that guy. I, 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 know, how to, I know how to flex happy. When in reality, my heart is going, I'm just sorrowful, just miserable, poor. When I was a kid, um, <laughs> when I was a kid, my family was poor. Um, my dad worked three jobs. My mom was working a job. We were like a beans and tortillas type of family. You know what I mean? We were cloth diaper people. We were not pamper people. We were poor. And then my dad got drafted. And that doesn't make you richer when you get drafted during Vietnam. So we were like poor, you know what I mean? We didn't have very much, but we had a roof over our head. This word doesn't mean poor. This word means po. This word means po. Like, like, I, like you're beggared. That's what it means. You've got so little, you've got to beg off somebody else in order to get anything. Spiritually, not just poor, but spiritually, poor. you got less than nothing. You're in a spiritual deficit is what that means. Blind, this just means ignorant. What happens when you're poor and miserable and you don't even see it? That's blindness. That's ignorance of myself, you know what I'm saying? And naked. The Greek word for naked means naked. <laughs> it means you're dressed in the wrong outfit, man. You know, you think you got you're 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 the emperor. You're the naked emperor. And the whole spirit world knows you don't have any clothes on, but you're trying to dress it up so that you feel like you're dressed. You're trying to cover yourself, but you can't cover yourself, but only Jesus Christ can cover you. You get it? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Why? This place is a center of banking. They're rich. And he says, you're not rich. You got the wrong kind of gold. You need eternal riches. I counsel you to buy a different kind of gold so you can become rich because you're actually poor. And white clothes to wear because you think you've got the right wardrobe. You're all dressed up. You're looking beautiful, but you're actually spiritually naked. You're spiritually uncovered. You need robes of righteousness. So you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve for your eyes so that you can see. We're talking about revelation. This is what I'm praying for us as a people today. Put salve on my eyes so I can see. Because I want to see clearly. I don't want to be blind to my own blindness. 
You know what I mean? This is a church that's trusting in all the wrong resources. There's a missing resource in this church. What is the missing resource in this church? Passion? I heard somebody else. I heard worship. What else? I'm about to show you. Verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Does God love anyone in here? Get ready for your spanking. (laughs) Those whom I love, that's me, uh, he loves me, I rebuke and discipline. Oh, man, okay. So be earnest and repent. Turn your heart, change your mind. Here's the missing ingredient. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. The missing ingredient is the spirit of Jesus Christ. This is a church that everyone attends but Jesus. There are churches all over our nation, and I don't say this in judgment at all. There are churches all over our nation. They've got the lights. They've got the music. They've got a great facility. They've got incredible staff. They've got programs. Everything that you can do in your own strength, they can do. They know how to do church without Jesus showing up. I never want to be that good at anything in my life. I never want to be so good that I don't need Christ anymore. And this is a church that's lukewarm. They have a passion problem. And because of their passion problem, they have a presence problem. They've forgotten how deeply they loved and needed Christ in the beginning. And here's one of the most tragic scriptures in the word. Behold, I, Jesus Christ, the Savior of everyone in the house, is outside the house. Knocking. What, 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 what? What? Like, you weren't even welcomed? He wasn't welcomed because he was rejected. He was just welcomed because they forgot they needed him. They had it covered. We can do services. We know, how to, we, know, we know the liturgy. We know how to do it. We just need to do a little bit of worship. We need to do some prayer in between. We need, to, we need to hand off the sermon to somebody with a microphone. He speaks. We do a little prayer at the end, and we're done, right? We can do that every week. We can do that every week and accomplish absolutely nothing in the spirit realm if we do that without the presence of the living God. Let us never forget how desperately we need Jesus Christ. I want to host the presence of the living God. I don't want to show up here without Jesus showing up here. You understand? I don't want to be without Jesus being here. Be earnest. Repent. What would the world look like if the church got passionate and the presence of God showed up in America again? Man. This is a poverty of passion, which leads to a poverty of presence. You might be asking, how can God not be present somewhere? He's, he's omnipresent, right? Well, there's a difference between being there and being there. The other day, we were driving somewhere, Jennifer and I, and I'm thinking about this sermon. You know, I'm, I'm like, okay, God, what do you want to do? How do I? And, and the thing is, I know these things in my heart, but I don't know, how, I don't know you guys, so I don't know how you're going to receive it, you know? So I'm trying to figure out, how do I serve this plate to these people? How do I serve this dinner to these people? And Jennifer looks over, and she goes, you're not really here, are you? <laughs> She's like, you're thinking about your sermon, aren't you? I was there, right? But I wasn't there. They were asking questions and talking, and I was giving, like, monosyllabic answers. Oh. <laughs> Dad, what do you think about, oh. <laughs> Honey, blah, 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 blah. Oh. And so she knows he's beside me, but he's not with me. You understand? There's a difference between being there and being there. The omnipresence of God. The the Bible says, even if I make my bed in hell, he's there. He's everywhere. What would the world look like if the presence of God was fully lifted off of it? You think you have problems with Mother Nature now? What would it look like if the presence of God just decided to vacate the earth? 
You think you have social issues now. What if the presence of the only goodness in the universe decided to just split? We're going to have serious issues. But there's a difference between being there and being fully there. That's why Moses said, unless you go with me, do not send me, Lord. How will anyone on earth know that we're a different people unless your presence is with us? There's a difference between God being there in an omnipresent way and him being there. His glory being there. His power being in the room, moving in and out among the seats, coming eye to eye, heart to heart, face to face with people and speaking to you a message beyond what I'm speaking right now because the Holy Spirit is there speaking to you. I want the, not just the omnipresence of God. I want the manifest presence of the living God. Is that what you want? Imagine Anchorage with Jesus Christ walking through the streets. Imagine this housing complex right here. If Jesus just decided to take a seat right over there and just live right here in this place. Let's go to verse 21. To the one who is victorious. Now he's just said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Look, I want in. I want to be with you. I want to be near you. Who wants to be with me? Does anybody want to be with me? This is what he's, what he's talking about. And he says, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, who in this room has ears? Everybody. I can't see yours, but I'm sure they have ears. Everyone here, I can't see hers, but I'm pretty sure she's good. He who has ears, she who has ears, let them hear. Hear this. This is first a call to overcome. To him who is victorious, overcome what? It's complacency. The, it's all right. It's okay. It's okay the way it is. Complacency. Lukewarmness. Overcome the temptation to get everything right except the only thing that matters. Is Jesus Christ in the room? Is he here? His name is Emmanuel, God with us. His name is not outside the house you will. <laughs> or at the other church you will. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. Passion is part of our worship. You cannot, you cannot extract, take out passion from worship and still have worship. You've got to overcome that. When we get ready to close in a little while, I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you are just as in love with Jesus as you want to be? And is there anyone here that wants to love Jesus more tomorrow than they love him today? That's, that's me saying, I want to be passionate about you because I see that you're passionate about me. Secondly, it's a call to intimacy. He says, if you, if you open the door, you can come in and eat with me. We can eat together. If you overcome, you can sit with me. He's calling you into relationship with himself. He's calling us to himself because presence is part of our worship. Does anybody want to be closer to me than you are right now? There's something about a worshiper's heart that's never satisfied. When Jennifer and I first got married... I wanted to be so close to her, it was freaky. Like we'd be in the same room and I'd be thinking, I want to be closer to her than I am right now. And I'd be like right beside her, I just feel like I want to be even more close to her than I am right now. And we'd be hugging and we'd be kissing and I'd be, can't, how can I get even closer? There's something about passion that says every time you half the distance, there's still distance. There's something about somebody who's madly in love that any distance is too much of a distance. Right now, the presence of Jesus Christ is here, but he's not here in the greatest way that he could be here. And so that's distance, and that makes my heart long for more of him. I want him even closer than he is right now. That's part of what happens in a worshiper's heart. I want him here even more than he's here right now. A call to intimacy and a call to authority. He says, you'll sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat with my father on his throne. This is a God who shares thrones with people. He's like, come up here, kid. If you overcome your passion problem, you're going to overcome your presence problem. 
If you overcome your presence problem, you're going to sit on my lap, and I guarantee you're going to overcome that power problem you got. Because when you're on my throne, that's a seat of authority. You see what I'm saying? That's a seat of authority. So here's my question. What would happen if the power of God moved in the church again? I'm not talking about people flopping on the floor like a fish. I've, I've been catching some salmon. I'm not talking about that. It's not what I'm looking for. I mean, if he wants to do that, that's his business, you know. I'm talking about what would happen if the power of God returned to the church again. The Bible says something that to me is like waving red in front of a bull. Jesus says, I can do more than you can possibly ask or imagine. Can you? Really? I can do more than you can possibly ask or imagine. I can ask for big things. I got a big mouth. I got a big imagination. Do you have a big imagination? When was the last time you tried to out-imagine God? When was the last time that you asked God, God, what's in your imagination? I want to begin aligning my asker with your imaginer. And listen, there may be someone in this room right now going, yeah, I wish you would begin to imagine things. I wish you would begin to ask for things. I'm not talking to the person you're elbowing right now. The Holy Spirit only talks to us personally. It doesn't talk to the person beside us. <laughs> so where's your imaginer? Where is your asker? And is it aligned with God? Where there's a, pa- a passion, pa- where there's a passion problem, there's a presence problem, and there's a power problem. Where there's not a passion problem, there's not a presence problem because God is there, which means there's going to be a power. There's going to be power in the house. So are you ready for some story time? I'm going to tell you about uh, an experiment that we did. And this is going to sound like bragging, and I'm totally bragging. <laughs> did you know one of, the, one of the Hebrew words for God actually means to brag about what God did? So I'm about to brag. Because God did some things, and when I tell you what he did, you're going to be like, that's crazy. I'm so glad. You know, Juan is a friend of mine. I love him. He's so funny, man. That guy, like, uh, when, you, when you hear about his life, you're like, God, why did you pick him? <laughs> and he would completely agree. And I feel like I'm the same way. God, why would you pick that guy? It doesn't matter. God, it, maybe he's just crazy. Maybe he doesn't think like we do. Maybe we're crazy because we don't think like he does. Maybe he's got a better imagination than we do. So a few years ago... Um, I'm going to tell them about North Fort Worth, guys. A few years ago, this is eight years ago now, um, we decided to open a new campus at the church that I was at. I'd, I'd already been part of the main campus. I'd already been part of two other campus plants, which were both incredible. And at the time, I was sitting in a really big church. Like for a pastor, for a worship pastor, it was kind of one of those apex of your career kind of situations. But I began to be stirred with hunger to see what would happen if we just did some experiments with God. What happens if we just say, take what the Bible says about worship and do it? Just don't overthink it. Just straight up obey and see what God does, right? What would happen if we began aligning our imagination with the imagination of God? What could he do in that place? What would happen if we overcame being the seventh church the last church? What would happen if we actually got passionate about the presence of God? What kind of power could he release if we did that? So we started in this school. It's called Fossil Ridge. While we were in Fossil Ridge, we were building out a grocery store. It used to be an old Piggly Wiggly or something like that. And it was all run down and and, uh, nobody was using it. So we're trying to, uh, you know, we're trying to redecorate the Piggly Wiggly so it would look more like a church than a grocery store. And we're at this school, Fossil Ridge. I had my worship team, and we had some volunteers who had just volunteered to show up with us and pray in the morning, right? And so this was the mission. I asked them to go throughout the hallways and to pray over that place that God would make it a part-time school and a full-time sanctuary. We showed up, and it was a full-time school and a part-time sanctuary, right? But we started asking the Holy Spirit to just move in those halls. We weren't even allowed in the classrooms. They didn't trust us at all. We had to have children's ministry in the hallways. And so we'd put our hands on the doors, and we'd ask God to speak to the students, to reveal himself to the teachers. We asked God to move in their lessons. This is the worst school in the school district. 
That's why they let us meet there, because they needed the money. They had most drug problems. They had the most teen pregnancy problems. They had fights all the time. The police were there constantly. In fact, there were police officers just assigned to the school because they were problem children. So we show up praying, being passionate about the presence of God. When we led worship, we weren't just leading worship for that weekend. The whole congregation were leading worship for the school. What if this place became a full-time sanctuary? Over the course of that year, we started out with about 300 people, which is an awesome plant, right? Over the course of the nine months of that school year, we got up to 1,700 people meeting in that school auditorium. But that wasn't the miracle. This is the miracle. When the school administrators got together at the end of the year to talk about their school year, every school in the district had the worst year they'd ever had. More drug problems. They had more gang activity, more violence. They had more teen pregnancy, every school, until they got to Fossil Ridge. Fossil Ridge said, I don't know what to tell you. We haven't had any teen pregnancy. We haven't had any drug problems. We haven't had any gang problems. In fact, the police had to stop assigning officers to the school because there's nothing for them to do here. And the other schools said, well, what did you do differently? What do you attribute that to? And they said, I don't know. The only thing I can tell you is that there's a church meeting in our auditorium. So the other school said, how do we get a church to meet in our auditorium? <laughs> That's how you transform a culture. Passion, presence, power. We started praying. We, we, our prayer guys, and these are just a bunch of little old ladies, you know? Like, like, like they're the, the Walmart greeter type people, you know? But they're amazing. And so they're just walking around. They'd, they'd walk around the building, and I would walk the building, and I would walk, I'd walk through the sanctuary every day, and I'd walk the neighborhoods, and I just began asking God, God, what do you want me to ask for? What's burning on your heart? And I began to burn for the people of that community. They had the highest suicide rate in the DFW area right there where our church was planted. That means they're pitiful. They're broken. They hurt. They're lonely. They're lost. They're depressed. And I started praying, God, bring these people in. God, I pray that you'd be so powerful in this house that it'd be like you're reaching out. As people drive by, you just pull them off the road. Just pull them. They would feel your power and your presence pulling them off the road. I started praying stuff like that. I pray you'd leak into these neighborhoods and that you'd bring people into this place. So I said, God, how many people do you want me to pray for for the, for the first <laughs> for the first day. <laughs> this is so stupid. And I felt like God said 5,000. We only seated 1,200. We can only seat 1,200 in that room. I felt like God said, ask for 5,000. So I'm telling my prayer team, ask for 5,000 people. Ask for 5,000 people day one. And the elders of the church and thing, they're great people, but I know they just thought I was cute. And they were like kind of patting me on the head. 5,000, Okay. You're so passionate, aren't you? <laughs> you keep praying that. But that's never happened ever. This is like day of Pentecost. So guess what happened on day one of the opening of that campus? 5,000 people showed up. And we never had less, ever. That's incredible. We had witches at the altar giving their lives to Jesus Christ and then in the middle of their prayer saying, hold on, i got to cancel my class on potions. It's supposed to meet at 2 o'clock. She's receiving Jesus and canceling her class on potions as she's receiving Jesus Christ. You won't even believe the things that God can do. There was a lady, they brought her up to me and they, they asked me if I'd pray for her. And I said, I introduced myself and asked her what was going on. She said, I don't know what's going on. I was just driving by and I felt like this electricity and it was like pulling me into the church. I don't know what that is. And I said, oh, I know what that is. That's not electricity. That's the power of God. That's the presence of God. And I asked that he would draw people in here that he loved and that he wanted to know. Do you want to meet him? And so I led her to Jesus right there on the spot. It was like the easiest catch ever. <laughs> Stop.
stuff like that started happening all the time. My buddy invited his Muslim friend. He was inviting him and inviting him and inviting him. We're having a night of worship, and he showed me a picture afterwards. His Muslim friend finally showed up, and he walked into the back of the church, and he didn't even get to a pew. He threw his hands up in the air, and he wept for two hours straight because he had been practicing a religion his entire life that never introduces you to the Father God. And for the first time in his life, he stepped into the presence of the living God, and it messed him up. He stood there weeping in the presence of the living God. Where there's passion, there's presence, there's power. I'm telling you the truth. Now, I'm going to tell you an excellent miracle, okay? Uh, we had this, uh, one of my sound guys, a couple of our sound guys, their last name is Mendenhall, and they have a little sister named Maddie Mendenhall. Maddie Mendenhall was diagnosed uh, with a killer brain cancer. And the doctors told her, uh, we have to take this brain cancer out or you're going to die within weeks. Even if we do remove the whole thing, you'll probably only live a couple more months and you may never walk again. You may not be able to speak either. Like this was serious. So a bunch of people start praying for Maddie. Her family's in her room right before the surgery is going to go on. I was in her room and another pastor or two were in the room. And in her room, we just started worshiping God. By the way, Maddie was like having none of it. She was so happy. She's like, it's going to be okay. She, she had no fear whatsoever. Everyone else is crying because their daughter's about to die. She has no fear whatsoever. So we're praying and we're worshiping God. And, 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 and God actually gave me a song. He gave me a song. and I wrote this song and came in and, and sang it that day. So as we're worshiping, the presence of God is there. It's fresh. It's real. He's near. Her brother is down on the ground. And, and her brother said, I just had a vision that the doctors opened up the back of her head and the tumor fell out in their, in their hand. And I started praying, God, I pray that you would take that tumor and that you would squish it between your fingers and you'd squish it and it'd just be like jelly. You'd just smash it and there'd be nothing left but jelly like tumor residue, you know what I mean? So the doctors come in and they, they gather her up and they bring her in for surgery. And when they're done with the surgery, the doctor comes back in the room and says, I cannot explain to you what just happened. We cut her head open and the tumor fell out into my hand. And it was like jelly. I've never seen anything like it in my life. They had to send it to a bunch of labs because I couldn't figure out what it was. And the doctor said this. He said, that must be what happens when God squishes a tumor. The doctor said it. That's awesome. Now, some of you may be thinking, I've, I prayed for people who are sick and nothing happened. I, I prayed for someone I cared about and they had a tumor and they still passed. I, I, don't, I don't understand. I don't know. I don't know why sometimes we ask for things and they happen and sometimes we ask for things and they don't. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to create a theology around that. And I think it's wrong for us to create a theology around that because God is awesome and we don't understand him and we don't understand his ways. So I don't know why you asked for that thing and that thing didn't happen. I don't know. There's nothing wrong with you. But I do know this, that we have a God who can do exceedingly above what I can ask. He can do more than I can imagine. And the Bible doesn't talk very much about what he can't do. It talks a whole lot about what he can do. I'm in love with this God. I want him close to me. And when he's close, his power shows up. That's all there is to it. So let me ask you again, what time is it? What time do you feel like it is? Is it possible that we're the last church? You know, the very next thing that happens in chapter four is John, a door is standing open before him and he gets pulled up into heaven. And some people think that's the rapture. I don't know whether it is or not. But the last church in the book of Revelation, John goes to heaven right after that. I want to go to heaven too. For me to live as Christ and die as gain, I want to go. But while I'm here, what am I going to do? What am I going to be passionate about? What am I going to throw my life into, my energy into? So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for just a moment. This altar call may be a little bit different than ones that you've seen in the past. Because I just want to ask you, 
What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? And if you would just ask, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me right now? Let's make this personal. It, it may be that God's not, he's not just knocking on the door of a house. He's knocking on the door of, of our hearts as well. The Bible says I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm his house. Is there a power problem in your life? Is there something besides the Holy Spirit that has power in your life? And you want God to have that power? Do you want to love God more tomorrow than you do today? Are you willing to be more in love with him? Do you want more of the presence of God tomorrow than you have today? Are you willing to desire more of him? Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you would stir in our hearts right now a desire for the living God, a passion for you, for who you are, and for your works. And I pray, Lord, in this congregation, these people with their eyes closed, would you stir our imagination and would you align our imagination with your imagination so that we would begin asking for crazy things again because some of us have forgotten how to ask. Some of us have forgotten how to believe for big things because we've been disappointed over and over and over again. And I just want to say, Lord, I'm sorry for forgetting. And I want to believe again. Now, people of God, we're going to close out the service with worship. And I want to ask you this. As you stand up, don't go that way. Come this way. There's a reason that these people are here. If you have something that you need prayer for, they're here to agree with you. Not just if you're bad, but because where two or more are gathered, he's there in their midst. Because when you agree with somebody, the presence of God is there. And if the Lord has put something on your heart to ask for, come and pray with somebody and say, would you agree with me today for this crazy thing? Would you agree with me today for this crazy thing? I believe God cares about thousands of people around here, and he doesn't care how big or small the sanctuary is. He wants his children in his house. Is there anybody who's willing to pray for a nutso number of children in the house of God just because the Father loves them? I want to challenge you to pray crazy things. Pray for miracles again. Pray for a move of God that will end all moves. And pray for the presence of the living, loving God. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.